My name is Jake. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, this last month, we've been going through the Psalms. Well, in August, we're going to kind of change directions a little bit. We're going to be looking at the church. What is the church? Why does, why does the church operate the way that it does? We're going to be looking at a bunch of different things over the course of this next month um, because God saves us. God saves us individually. And if you have put your faith in Christ, you can remember of either a process or a moment where you put your faith in Christ, where God made, was real to you. And that happens on an individual level. But God doesn't save us individually. He actually saves us collectively. And we see this kind of in like uh, Titus 2 where he talks about how God has purchased us uh, a, a people for his own possession, a people together. And so we are collectively the church, uh, made up of individual people who have faith, but we are collective together. And so this next month, we're going to be looking at the scriptures and, and how does God order the church? Why do we do things that we do? How does the leadership in the church operate? Why do um, we do the things that we do in church? And in the next couple of weeks, starting with this week and heading into next week, we're going to look at one of, the, one of the things that the church does, and that's discipleship that we are to grow into Christ-likeness. Uh, we, our, our, our church mission is that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is following uh, Jesus. It's learning of him, spending our time, and, and eventually becoming more and more like who we're learning about, Jesus. And so this week, we're going to focus on what, what we call wide discipleship, something that is true for everyone in the church, that how we interact and relate together as the people of God, that solely by interacting with one another, having relationship with one another, we're actually going to grow together in Christ-likeness. Next week, Nick will be back, and he'll talk more about uh, deep discipleship, of how do we uh, dive deeper when we start to um, uh, have a, a greater quality of life with Jesus. We grow deeper and understand him more and grow in our depth of faith. And so these kind of go together, wide discipleship and then deep discipleship. This week, we, we don't grow in a vacuum. We don't grow. Often we, you know, we think of Christianity or our own Christian faith of it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do my thing. I don't need anyone else. It's just me and Jesus. And what we find is that we actually grow more into Christ-likeness with other people around us. And as, as we'll see today, as Christ has loved others by coming together and having relationship with other Christians, as Christ has loved others, we get the chance to repeat that, to model that with those around us. And so with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and, and let's stand as we read Romans 15. Reminder, we stand out of reverence and awe for God and for his word. This, these are the very words of God. The scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this is exactly what we need for this moment. And so we, read out of, uh, we stand out of reverence and awe and honor for God. So let's read Romans 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father,
Heavenly Father, we, we love you and we uh, lift you up and we, we thank you for the Redikers and the opportunity to uh, share our faith with those around us, um, especially those who come to the door expecting a spiritual conversation, Lord. So we, we, we praise you for that opportunity, Lord. Would you be moving in those, uh, in those moments? Heavenly Father, as we come together today and we read of your word, Heavenly Father, will you, will your Holy Spirit please empower me to speak the words that you desire me to speak? And Father, would you give all of us hearts to be receptive to your word, that you would not just give us something to fill our heads with knowledge, Lord, but you would change our hearts so that we would love you and love our neighbor as ourselves, Lord. Would you Holy Spirit, come and be near to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So we're kind of skydiving into Romans 15, uh, but what I wanted to do is kind of bring us up to speed of what Paul is talking about. In the previous chapters, uh, Paul, who wrote the, the letter of, to the Roman church, um, is describing what life should be like as the church. As the people of God, we are, we are sinners, although we are redeemed by grace, we come together and live together and worship God together. And even though we are all Christians, and Paul is talking to Christians, um, uh, even though we all come together, there's, there's still there's still disagreements among Christians. Am I right? And so Paul is addressing some of this. There's still fights. And so he's spent basically the, the previous two chapters uh, talking, us, talking to us and showing us how to love one another. In particular, Paul is speaking on how do we live in light of conscience issues within the church. He talks about how some people in the Roman church, they didn't want to eat meat that was sold in markets because they were afraid that it had been sacrificed to another idol. So they were afraid of this meat. But also there were some people in the church who said, well, uh, an idol is nothing. There's no other gods, as, as was mentioned before. There's no other gods, and so clearly it's okay to eat this meat. And so there was a disagreement among the Roman church on whether or not you should eat the meat in idols in Rome, or meat, eat the meat from markets in Rome. There's also some people in the church who, in the Roman church, who would honor certain days, certain festivals, say we need to uh, uh, worship and follow on those days, and there are others in the church who said, they shouldn't, and we, we don't need to. And what Paul is talking about here is not, is not sin issues, but rather conscience issues, issues where their faith in Christ is, is compelling the, the, the Christians to live in a way, and because maturity of faith differs within the church, how faith is lived out, it may be different, and for us it may not be eating sacrificed meat from the market. But conscience issues today can be related to whether or not we drink alcohol, what movies we watch, if we celebrate Halloween or not, what traditions we do at Christmas and traditions we don't do at Christmas, whether or not we have drums in the church service. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> whether or not we have coffee in the lobby, peripheral matters of faith and theology? What translation of the Bible do we read from? How we raise our kids? What school do they go to? What Christian music do we listen to? What secular music do we listen to? And I would say, in, in, in my experience, uh, most, but not all, disagreements in the church come down to conscience or preference issues within the church. Now, many of us have biblical support of why we believe what we believe on this particular issue or that particular issue, and, and, and we should. We should have biblical support for everything we do. But, but let's, see what Paul, let's see what Paul has to say to us on these issues. And it's in how we respond to and handle these disagreements where we have opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness really discipleship in action, if you will. 
In Romans 15, he is telling us how we should live together. In light of our faith, in light of conscience issues and disagreements in the church, how we are to live together as the redeemed body of Christ. All of us have something here in Romans 15. And so what I wanted to do was walk through the first seven verses and identify if we followed what Paul is saying, if we followed the church, we would, uh, in the church, as the church, we would love more deeply and Jesus would be more glorified. If we followed what Paul is saying here, we would glorify Jesus better together. And so first, Paul gives us an exhortation, which always as a preacher is really difficult when the exhortation comes first. We always want to say, oh, look how good God is. This is how we're supposed to live. Paul flips that and he goes, oh, this is how you're supposed to live. So he gives us an exhortation first, then the motivation, and then finally he gives us the objective. And speaking of the objective, what I wanted to do before we dive in is actually mention where we're going first. Almost like if you were to take a picture in your mind and hang it up on the wall, I want to show us where we're going first. I'm not going to flush it out quite at this moment, but I wanted to, to show where we're going as we walk through this passage. The objective is twofold. If we were to follow what Paul is saying, we would have harmony and peace within the church. And as a result of the unity within the church, God would be honored and glorified and worshiped and made much of. So the goal today is that God would be glorified through unity and harmony in the church. So that's where we're headed. So hang that picture up, keep it in your mind as we walk through, and we'll come back to it later. So first, Paul gives us an exhortation, picking it up in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us build uh, uh, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. See, the church is made up of a lot of different people. People who are new to Christianity, people who have been a Christian for a long time, those who are new to this church, those who are not, those who are thriving in life now, those who are struggling those who are busy, 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 and those who haven't had to plan out their day for years. There are those who are on fire for Jesus and passionate about uh, talking about Jesus, whose current faith, and those whose current faith seems dry and desolate. Those who are worried about the state of our country and those who are not. Those who are burdened by all the rules that Christianity seems to have and those who have a sense of freedom to live however they want. There are conservatives, there are liberals, there are new moms trying to figure things out. There's also seasoned professional mothers. The church is full of different people in different stages of life with different temperaments, different struggles, different challenges, different joys, different viewpoints, and different testimonies of how God has saved them. And this is a beautiful thing. The church is made up of what Paul calls here the weak and the strong. The strong that he mentions are those who are well established in their faith and have full freedom to trust God in a particular situation. The weak are those who are unsure who need help, who do not fully know how to connect their faith with a particular situation that they're facing. Romans 12 comes to us, a different people with different uh, experiences in life, and says, we have an obligation. That's a strong word, obligation. We, I, don't, I don't like that word obligation. We don't like being told what to do. But here is what God is saying to us this morning. We have an obligation to each other. We have an obligation not to please ourselves, 
but to build up those around us. And it has been ingrained in us from a young age that we need to please ourselves. We need to treat ourselves as number one. And if you need an example of that, do you remember when COVID first started and everyone was soaking up and grabbing all the toilet paper they could get? We don't need to be taught how to treat ourselves as number one. We often hear today, in order, to, in order to love others, you have to love yourself first. As long as our cup is filled, as long as we treat ourselves, then, then, and only then, can we help others. As long as we care for us, then we can care for others. But Paul starts this section by saying we have an obligation not to please ourselves, but rather please our neighbor for his good to build him up. He turns our society's mentality on its head. He turns it around and says we are to serve and sacrifice for those around us and our first and initial care when we come to church is not to make sure we are happy, but rather that those around us are happy in God. So church, you have an obligation to please ourselves, not to please ourselves. <laughs> we have an obligation not to please ourselves, but rather to bear the burdens, to care for, and to serve those around us. Paul says something similar in Philippians 2 when he says, In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what does this actually look like, serving one another? On one level, uh, we can see it in the greatest cinematic, in the greatest cinematic moment in all of movie history. In the Lord of the Rings, Frodo is climbing up Mount Doom, and he is exhausted, he is spent, he is so close to destroying the ring and defeating evil, however, he is unable to carry on any further. He lies down and cannot move anymore. Sam lays next to him cries with him for a little while, reminds him of the goodness of the Shire, and then Sam courageously cries out, if I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he lifts him up and one step at a time carries him up the mountain. Again, the greatest cinematic moment in all of movie history. Now, maybe a more realistic example, because we're not climbing up volcanoes, um, is uh, let's say one of the examples I heard was this. Let's say the person sitting next to you, let's say they are deathly afraid of flying. They're deathly afraid of flying. They have not got on a plane in years, and the entire time they got on that plane, they are sweating with anxiety and fear and terror. Now, let's say you and this person... Let's say you need to go across country. You need to get across country. You have a trip, a vacation that you're going to. Now, you could say to this person, all right, well, flying is actually safer than driving. So you need to know this, and your fear is unfounded. So regardless if you're afraid or not, we're getting on a plane. You're just going to have to deal with it, okay? We're going. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here. Instead, if we were to live this out, he, we would say something along these lines. Hey, I know you're afraid of flying. So I've rented a car. I've booked hotels. I've planned out fun things to see and do along the way. I've even purchased all the snacks that we're going to need. Yes, you may know that the truth is that flying is safer than driving. But instead, we love this person and care for this person and do what they need. What Paul is talking about here is not mere toleration. It's not mere toleration. Yes, you could drive the whole time, and you could be angry, and you could be complaining and said, we could have flown, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. 
Instead, we find ways to please them and build them up. Building each other up should be our first and foremost desire in the church. Many of us know that God is in control, and we trust in in the divine providence of God in every situation. We know God is in control. However, many of us in the church are, are, are fearful of the world around us. Instead of merely saying to those people, don't worry, God is in control, you'll be okay, and demeaning them, we can love them and care for them and pray for them. For new moms who are struggling, we don't merely say it gets easier or even worse, just wait till they're teenagers. (laughs) Instead, we bring them coffee. We offer to hold their babies so they could have a nap. We clean their house for them. Yes, even the dirty parts of the house. We give them a date night. We bear the burdens as if they are our own. For those of us who struggle with being a Christian and with drinking alcohol, we don't invite those people over and immediately bust open a beer. But we find ways to make sure that they are loved and cared for when they come over for dinner. We don't order a beer. We offer them things like soda. We don't cause them to stumble. We do what we can to make them feel honored. We treat them as more important than ourselves. We don't fight with those who are suffering, with those who are struggling. Those who don't understand the way that we do, those who don't know what we do, those who uh, we never have an attitude of superiority from all the theology that we know or the books that we've read. We never use our wisdom gained over years of experience to belittle those who don't have it. We do not constantly fight for our deserved rights and preferences to the point where others are cut down and made small. When we have brothers and sisters in Christ come to us and say, this is how I am struggling, this is how I need help, and we have the gall to say, no, you're not really struggling in that way, or that isn't your experience, let me tell you what is right. Romans 12 comes to us and says, it is not about you. Church is not about all that you want, what, you de- what your desires are, how you want the things that you want. Church is not here to make sure you are content in your selfishness. We do not come to church to make sure we please ourselves. You are not the most important person in the room. And how often do we get so, accept, uh, so upset when things are not the way that we want them? Uh, we are not happy when other Christians think differently than we do on any particular topic. Let us not focus on ourselves and let us not despise one another and let's bury our pride and seek the best for those around us. And I think we can all think of ways we can bear the burdens of those around us instead of thinking about how we can please ourselves. And I pray the Spirit would show us those who we need to love in this way today. And now you may be thinking, Jake, it, it, says, it says those who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. I'm not strong. The strong are the elders. The strong are the deacons. The strong are the table group leaders, the, the children's church teachers. They are the strong ones. They need to be doing this. I I, I can't be doing this. Well, the beauty of the church is that everyone is stronger than someone else in the church when it comes to faith. There are people whose faith on a particular situation is stronger than others. And everyone has someone who is, quote, weaker in some areas of life. You have people who are stronger than you, and you have people who are weaker than you all the way down to the infants in the nursery. And I'm not talking about some like weird church hierarchy that we need to develop of we've got the strong and we need to make a list. But in just in the situations of life that come up, some of us, due to the maturity of faith that we have, find it easier to see how God is working in a particular situation. Some boats are just not rocked as easily. 
You have something to provide to someone. You have the ability to care for those around you. You have an obligation to care for those in our church. Now, I will say we do have strong people in our church. Those who have been learning of Jesus for years and years and years, whose faith is steadfast in trials, whose hope is fixed on Jesus in every situation, who have led other Christians to faith, and for longer than I've been alive have known Jesus and served Jesus. We have, uh, we have those who have served as, in church as pastors around the country or served in missionary, as missionaries around the world. Some of you have led youth groups. Some of you have led table groups or prayer nights. God has blessed this church with a lot of strong leaders and mentors in the faith. He has blessed us with those who have been walking with Jesus for decades. To the older generations in the church, we need you. We need you to serve. We need your God-given wisdom born of a life walking with Jesus. We need the benefit of your years of seeking after God, your decades of reading scripture and praying to God. We need the fruit of your life of service. Our culture idolizes retirement. Once we have reached a certain age, we can finally do what we want to do. We can go and play golf and go on trips and buy expensive dinners and live self-centered lives, pleasing only ourselves until we die. Oh God, do not let that be true of those in our church. We need you. As long as you are here, you are not done yet. Expend yourself for the benefit of the church. Don't step away from the church but step into mentorship and leadership within the church, caring self-sacrificially for those in need. To those of us who are from the younger generations, let us seek to learn from those who are older than us. It turns out we don't know everything. And we have an incredible amount to learn from those older than us. We have youthful vigor, but we lack in decades of faithfulness to God. If we are to grow in depth, we need to humble ourselves and learn from those who are older than us. Not to be arrogant and act like we know the way, but to listen to the wisdom that they have learned. We aim not to please ourselves. I've spent most of my life in Tucson, Arizona. And in the desert in Tucson, uh, there's this cactus called the saguaro cactus. You might be familiar with it. Um, it is the biggest cacti um, in the entire world. It lives for hundreds of years. It grows uh, uh, up to oh, well over 30 feet tall. There are thousands of pounds. They are massive cactus. But the saguaro cactus that thrives is not the one that does it on its own. And actually, for the, the, the saguaro cactus, when they, when they first sprout, if they sprout in the middle of the sun, they eventually die. But in actuality, for the saguaro cactus that sprouts next to a Palo Verde tree, it's a big green tree, if it sprouts next to a tree, then that is the one that, that, that thrives. The Palo Verde tree protects it, provides shade for it, until it can establish its roots. In the same way, those of us who are young require the aid of the mature. Those in our congregation, uh, we need you to grow. You cannot grow by yourself. We need help. In humility, treat others as more significant than yourselves. The message here that Paul is giving us this morning is shockingly simple. Stop trying to please yourself and start trying to please your neighbor. It's simple, hard to follow. All of us are called to do this, but rather we have, a, we have an obligation to do this. And when we see the commands of Scripture, it can lead us to one of two places. It can either lead us to pride and say, oh yeah, I've got this. Serving one another, no problem. 
not a problem at all. I'm going to do this. Or it can lead us to despair and say, there, there's no way I can do this. Based on who I am and in my own schedule, there's no way that I can serve others. So I'm not going even to try. And this is where Paul comes in and shares the motivation. Motivation is what enables us, empowers us to do the commands of God. And so here's the motivation, picking it up in verse 3 in in, in Romans chapter 15. Verse 3, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Here is why we are able to bear with the burdens of those around us. Jesus bore our burdens. Jesus did not please himself. He sought to uh, please and build us up first and foremost. See, we can bear the burdens of others because our burdens are carried by Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come all to me who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What Jesus asks of us, he has already done for us. We, carry, we can carry the weight of others because Jesus has taken our weight. We can serve others because Jesus has served us. Jesus has stooped to wash our feet, and so we can freely do that for others. We have failed over and over and over again, yet Jesus remains with us and forgives us. So we can bear with those who have failed us, and we can forgive them. Imagine you are going on a hike with your kids. You're going on a hike, and you have a heavy backpack full of all the snacks and the first aid kits and everything, and then your youngest child looks up at you and says, my feet hurt. You're carrying a Barbie, but anyway, um, my feet hurt. Can you carry me? We... We know this by experience. Um, so we're on a hike and you're carrying this heavy backpack and then your child comes up and says, hey, will you carry me? And you just look at that. It's like, there's no way. It is a daunting task uh, to carry my kid in this backpack. But then your spouse comes along and says, hey, let me carry the backpack for you. And then you can freely be there and serve your kid. You can lift them up and care for them. Your kid who is struggling. In the same way, Jesus takes our weight so we can care for others. You can tolerate the weaker faith of those around you because Jesus has tolerated you. We can hold others up because Jesus holds us up. Paul here quotes uh, Psalm 69. All the weight that we feel from the sin that we have committed all the maligning that comes from outside the church, all the disdain from others that we receive, all the rebuke, the disapproval, the reprimanding, the admonishment we deserve for our sins has fallen on Jesus. Our failings have been forgiven. Our punishment has been borne by another. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed an insurmountable amount of money to his master. But the master takes pity on him and forgives him of his debt. Well, that servant turns around and he goes to another servant that owes him a couple hundred bucks. And he is angry with him and is not gracious with him and does not forgive him. And he punishes that other servant who owes him a small amount of money. And the master is angered and says, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Those who are forgiven much love much. Jesus was so radically other-centered that he bore all of our sins and shortcomings on the cross. 
So we now can be radically other-centered, despising selfishness and seeking the good of those around us. For motivation, look to the example of Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We should be known for our compassion and our unconditional love for our neighbor. So often, the church is not known for this. Often, we are so cold and rude and judgmental to, of those around us, um, in, both in the church and outside of it. If we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, then we should be overflowing with sympathy and compassion. If we have seen uh, so many, uh, uh, we have seen so many in this church already, both my wife and I, in the, in the short time that we've been here, we have seen this church overflow with incredible compassion and generosity. And that compassion that this church has comes from Christ who has had incredible compassion for us. Timberline, you have the ability to serve those around you because Christ has come and served you. So Paul tells us to be self-sacrificial for the good of others so we can, in this knowledge that Jesus has been self-sacrificial for our good, we can go out and serve those around us. But why? Why should we do this? Why? This sounds good, but why should we do this? Why should we serve those around us? Yes, Jesus has served us. Why should we serve those around us? Why does Paul lay on us this obligation? Here's the objective for the other-centered mindset we are supposed to have according to Paul, that we would have unity and that we would glorify God. Let's read verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory, uh, for the glory of God. Did you see it there? That we would live in harmony with one another that together with one voice, we would have unity. The law of thermodynamics uh, says that things tend towards disunity. Things tend to disorder, things fall apart, things de decay, energy is dissipated, cars break down, food goes bad. Everything in our universe tends to chaos and disunity. And relationships are no different. Left to themselves, relationships break down, people fight, things fall apart, families grow distance, societies collapse, churches have infighting, naturally things turn, tend towards disunity. The objective to bear with one another is harmony and unity. Our goal in forgiving one another and bearing with one another, we actually become closer to them and there would be wholeness in our church. There would be a God-ordained togetherness and solidarity in the people of God. The objective is that by laying down our lives for one another, we would be one together. And I just want to ask, is not the world looking for this? Is not the world looking for unity on a social level, unity on a societal level, on a governmental level? We want people to get along. Where disunity in our world is so evident, there is a hunger and harmony and for, for harmony and unity among the people. And it is found in the church where people are seeking not to please themselves, but to please those around them. It is worth noting here that Paul prays for endurance and encouragement for us in this effort to love others. This is not easy. If it was easy, Paul wouldn't ask the God of the universe, the all-powerful God of the universe, for encouragement and endurance and joy-filled encouragement. 
And I'm glad, I'm glad God gives endurance, because some of y'all, some of all, you need some endurance. Amen? But the more we bear with one another's burdens, the more we are able to endure, the more we will see God working in our church, and we would be encouraged. Oh, how amazing it would be if we were so self-sacrificial, willing to cling, not willing to cling to our preferences, but so inclined to serve each other freely that our church would become radically unified in our pursuit of love and care for one another. Oh, how amazing church would be. How appealing would that be to a world that is so wrecked by self-centeredness. But that's not the end goal. Harmony and unity, they are very good things, but they are a mere checkpoint to the greatest goal, the glory of God. See, harmony in the church is never meant to end on itself. It's, we're never meant to have unity for unity's sake. Even if we had perfect unity in the church, that would not be our main goal. See, our unity is meant for us to look forward, look up to God. We, in unity, together worship God. God is more glorified, more honored when we worship Him together than when we worship Him as individuals. The end of all that we do should be the glory of God. The main reason why we do things is that God would be glorified, and Paul comes and tells us, that God is glorified by self-sacrificial unity in the body of Christ. So when we build others up and not ourselves, not only is that person helped and cared for, but also God is glorified. In our service of others, we not only treat, ourself, uh, we, we not only treat others as more significant, but we treat God as most significant. The more we help brothers and sisters in need, the more God is made much of. Do you want God to be proclaimed and honored? If you want that, then humble yourselves and serve the church. If we know that the end of our service is the majesty of God, oh, that we would be a people who would overflow with service whenever possible. Let us be so captivated by the surpassing worth of Christ that we would empty ourselves in service to another. And of course, you may be saying, okay, Jake, that seems lofty. That sounds really nice. But I just know that pleasing others at cost of myself, it, it, it's not going to work. It's not going to bring unity. Have you seen the church? Have you seen the global church? There's not unity there. It's not going to work. People have tried, but unity has never happened through self-sacrifice. Well, I'm glad you're thinking that way. Because I have three examples of where it has. Of how self-sacrifice has brought unity to the church and glory to God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple of pages to the right in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, picking it up in verse 11. The Jews and Gentiles were separated, disconnected. Two different people groups, they were separated and discontented. Verse 11, therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what uh, is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. Gentiles separated, disconnected, disunified from the Jews. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's the sacrifice. Did, did, did you see it? 
Let me read it again. Brought near by the blood of Christ. On the sacrifice, uh, the, the sacrifice on the cross, when Christ did not seek his own good, but the reproaches we deserve fell on him, it brought about unity. Because he says, for he himself, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There is no more hostility in the people of God because Christ has, has gone to the cross and sacrificed for us. There is no more hostility for the people of God. The blood of Christ kills the hostility that we have with others. And when hostility is killed, what takes place? Peace, harmony, unity. And then this unified people in verse 21 become a holy temple of the Lord, worshiping God, glorifying God together. All right, for example, number two of a a sacrifice that brings unity, let's flip over to Ephesians chapter two, just a couple of pages. uh, I'm sorry, uh, Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, we read it a little bit earlier. We're gonna pick it up from verse three. Philippians two, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be, to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." See, there's the the, the self-sacrifice. Jesus lowering himself, humbling himself to be a servant to us all the way to the point of death on a cross. And look what results of Jesus' self-sacrifice. Look at verse 10. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every tongue, in unity, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God due to the sacrifice of Jesus. For our last example... We're going to flip over to Revelation. We're moving around a lot. That's okay. Revelation chapter 5. It's at the very end of your Bibles, the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5. Verse 11, picking it up there. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Through the lamb who was slain for us, heaven is a chorus of millions of saints and angels with all of creation in unity, worshiping God. See, Christ is the ultimate unifier. Oh, that God would have honor and glory forever and ever. Amen? Timberline, when we treat ourselves, when we treat others as more important than ourselves, we follow our Savior and God is glorified. If you want joy-filled unity in our church, serve one another. Empty yourselves for others and bring glory to the God who has saved you. In the coming weeks, 
Table groups are going to start to get kicked off in September. Next week, we'll have sign-ups. Table groups are where we can put this in action of, of being with one another, other Christians. And if you are new to the faith or new to the church, we could not recommend table groups enough to get connected with others in the church. In table groups, we work through applying our faith to our lives in community together. It's in table groups where we get the opportunity and privilege to lay down our lives for others in service. In addition to that, get connected to men's and women's ministry. Junior high and high school students, get connected to youth ministry. Let us bear with one another. Let us seek not to please ourselves, but to build one another up through the power of Christ to the glory of God. We need each other. We need each other to the glory of God. Let us do this. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you, we honor you, and we are here this morning to give you honor that you are the most important thing in our lives. Lord, as we dive into this idea of growing in Christ's likeness over the rest of our lives, Lord, and putting into practice, serving one another, uh, having compassion, and welcoming one another. At Lord, has, as you have welcomed us, Lord, we need your help. You strengthen us, you empower us through your Holy Spirit to do this. Father, would we be a church that would be so unified that you would be honored and that it would be so attractive to those around us, to our neighborhoods and to our community and to the world that these are people who love one another. Lord, we need you to do this. Would you do that for us this morning and in the rest of our lives? Heavenly Father, grow us into, more into your image so that we would honor you in every aspect of our lives, that we would give you all of our everything, not just on Sundays, but the rest of the week to, to honor and glorify you. Lord, will you please help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.